Good morning. Trump seeks retribution. Cop City protesters arrested on terrorism charges. And Daniel Ellsberg speaks exclusively with this reporter on Ukraine, Russia, nuclear war, whistleblowing, and the fight of his life. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Tuesday morning, March 7th, 2023. The Conservative Political Action Conference was back in Washington, D.C. this weekend after ducking the district's COVID restrictions by moving the conference to Florida for the last couple of years. But unlike past years, the 2023 edition of the premier conservative gathering was sparsely attended, as some of the biggest names in conservative politics, like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, went missing. But the main draw was in attendance, former President Donald Trump, who says he's ready for revenge against establishment Republicans and Democrats alike, and what Trump said would be the final battle. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. After Trump's speech, a straw poll of CPAC delegates showed support was still strong for the former president. He got 62 percent. DeSantis got 20 percent. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley is the only other Republican to announce a run for president. As she spoke as CPAC, delegates heckled her and chanted, We love Trump. Another potential candidate, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, implied Trump was not a true conservative and basically asserted Trump had lost the 2020 election. And there was more violence in Atlanta between cops and protesters over a planned site for a police training facility dubbed by opponents as Cop City. Video released by Atlanta police show protesters on Sunday invading a construction site with fireworks exploding and a construction vehicle in flames. There were no reports of injuries. Authorities say 23 people were arrested and charged with terrorism-related crimes. Georgia Attorney General Christopher Carr. What happened last night was not peaceful protest. It was violence, plain and simple. 23 of the individuals uh, arrested charged with domestic terrorism, which in the state of Georgia is when you use violence in order to damage infrastructure or property and the the attempt to change public policy. That's a a state law and uh, one that we will continue to use. Of the 23, only two were from the state of Georgia. Others came from Massachusetts and New York and Colorado, and we had one from Canada and one from France. But the bottom line is this, you cannot come to this state You can't throw Molotov cocktails at police officers. You can't light uh, construction vehicles on fire. You can't shoot police officers and not be held accountable. This isn't Oregon. This isn't Washington. This is the state of Georgia, and you will be held accountable. A live stream feed provided by a protest media group showed police later raiding a music performance in an encampment where anti-cop city protesters have erected tents. An activist says the police response was uncalled for. What we're seeing is an overwhelming and forceful police response to um, what, as far as we can tell, has been a music festival in the park in protest of Cop City. It seems from what we've seen that the police are um, responding violently um, to anybody who they think is associated with the movement to stop Cop City, um, without regard to anything that they might have done, 
or you know any like alleged crimes, but simply um, people who are like present here and seem outspoken about their opposition to the facility. Um, that seems to be who they're targeting, and that's really consistent with the. We're just hearing pops from in the forest, which is a little concerning. I think I see fireworks. I hope that that's fireworks. In normal circumstances, we might like always assume that they're fireworks. Cop City is a police training facility scheduled for a wooded area in Atlanta. Activists say it's a symbol of the increased militarization of the police. And you're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. In more national news, California says it won't be doing any more business with Walgreens. The decision by Governor Gavin Newsom came in a tweet Monday after the pharmacy chain said it won't dispense abortion pills in 20 Republican states, even in some states where abortion is still legal. In a statement released later, Walgreens clarified its position, saying it would dispense the abortion drug Mifpristone in any jurisdiction where it was legal. On Capitol Hill, a Democrat and Republican senator announced legislation giving the Biden administration authority to ban the Chinese-owned video app TikTok as a security risk. The White House has not said it would endorse the law, but is working with the legislators. TikTok's chief executive is due to appear before Congress at the end of the month. Intelligence agencies have complained TikTok and other foreign-owned apps popular with Americans could be conduits for intelligence transfers to China. In international news, on Monday, Moscow condemned the shelling of a region in Russia. The governor of the Kursk region said power supplies were damaged and several villages left without power. Meanwhile, fierce fighting continues over the contested Ukrainian town of Bakhmut at the epicenter of the Russia-Ukraine war. The town of 70,000 is now virtually deserted as buildings eerie wrecks where thousands of troops on both sides have perished. While Ukraine says it's still in the fight, its forces are reportedly withdrawing as the Russians have surrounded Bakhmut on three sides. Kyiv says it's waiting for the delivery of more Western arms to launch a counterattack, while Russia is training 200,000 new recruits to throw into the fight. Meanwhile, on Friday, the news reported famed whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg has been diagnosed with inoperable pancreatic cancer and given three to six months to live. But Ellsberg hasn't given up on his struggle to inform the world on the dangers posed by the war in Ukraine, especially threats of using nuclear weapons. The news spoke with Ellsberg on Monday. He says he feels okay and was happy to give an interview. Ellsberg adds the war in Ukraine is a dangerous escalation of tensions with Russia that could bring nuclear war. He also discussed his legacy as a whistleblower and his support of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. I think that our ruling elites here would be happy to see this war go on as it is without being too much larger indefinitely. There's no downside to that. The uh, stocks and profits of the arms manufacturers, Lockheed, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Boeing, uh, I've got one there, are all up and they're not going down now. And the U.S. is back in charge of a resuscitated NATO, having uh, a genuine enemy now to look at now, uh, which I think they were not unhappy to see emerge. Uh, a, an aggressive, an aggressor, uh, Russia, uh, and a hmm. coalition like NATO needs 
an enemy to arm against and to uh, lend itself to the protection of the U.S. with its nuclear weapons. So this Russian aggression, I think, is not at all unwelcome to uh, people, including the oil companies that seen their profits uh, rise enormously as a result of all this. However, it does have a continuous risk of exploding into a nuclear war. If the uh, aims of the Ukrainians, which are understandable, uh, aims uh, expressed by Zelensky to remove all Russians from Crimea, which nearly Russians in Russia regard as part of Russia, and it's been controlled by Russia for the last eight years, they want to see all Russian soldiers out of the Donbass, out of eastern Ukraine, which again is very understandable for the Ukrainians, but I don't think Putin will allow either of those without carrying out his threat. And this is a risk, I think, of nuclear war that means that pursuing those aims in Crimea and eastern Donbass by Ukraine and its supporters like U.S. and NATO has a risk that puts uh, is against the interest of every nation in the world, I would say, uh, including Ukraine. But um, it's unrealistic and I think dangerous, even though entirely understandable and just. But I think in fighting against um, Russia at this point, I don't see Putin allowing Russia to lose Crimea on all of the Donbass, even the part it occupied before February 24th last year, without using nuclear weapons. And that is a danger of nuclear winter to the whole world. So I hope that negotiations and concessions and compromise are arrived at before that, even though, uh, yes, that will, from the point of Ukraine and others, uh, be seen as unjust. Have you been following the Seymour Hersh revelations about the Nord Stream pipeline where he says that it was a, uh, yeah. yeah, what do you I think of that? that? Well, I, look, Hersh could be wrong on details, he could be wrong on a lot of details, but I think that the notion that the U.S. did this or, uh, or agreed to it or encouraged it is overwhelming, and that was before the Hersh article. He just gives a very plausible account of how that might have been brought about or how he says it was brought about. But uh, it's very hard to imagine any other responsibility because it is the U.S. that has benefited, not in the slightest Russia, and actually not Germany, our ally or other European allies. They suffered a cold winter here, which is going to continue, and a huge rise in gas prices and so forth. And if the U.S. did uh, and really bring this about, which I think it would show obviously Biden threatened. That's, that's no, that's a fact. He threatened it. But if he carried out those threats along with Schultz, it's very hard to understand how, uh, the head of Germany went along with such a thing. I don't understand how he could have. But, uh, mm. in any case, I do think Hirsch is al- almost surely right that it was the U.S. behind it. And just uh, because he must have, for him to write this report, he must have had some contact with a whistleblower of sorts. I mean, he's famous for that. Uh, He he said he had a a source who had knowledge of the operational plans. People, it's, uh, he's done very well with reporting in the past with people who can't be identified because their careers would be over, their 
their uh, clearances and their access and all would well be over. And he's been generally very reliable on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but he only has the one source, and so far, as he says, I would hope other people will come out on one side or the other and tell the truth about that. Yeah, so talking about sources and how important they are, and you're one of the most famous sources in recent American history, we look at Julian Assange, another source, a person who has sources or was important, uh, uh, person who brought those sources to the public. What does this say about the importance of whistleblowers and the importance of people who are willing to have the courage to step forward in these kind of situations and tell this story? Well, I've met a great many whistleblowers. I've made it my business to meet them and to reassure them and to congratulate them in many ways and tell them what to expect. Over time, I could no longer assure them that their whistleblowing will have any effect. Uh, mine did by a kind of extraordinary set of circumstances beyond me. Uh, it did have an effect in getting Nixon out of office and making the war endable. The Pentagon Papers themselves had no real effect on Nixon's policy. He had to go, and that was something that I didn't foresee and nobody foresaw. So it's almost a miracle. In other cases, um, they've exposed things that needed to be exposed, but the forces sustaining the profits of the status quo and sustaining their jobs and their offices have kept there from being much action in support of it. So... If it's important enough, like a war, shortening a war, or avoiding constitutional violations, as Ed Snowden did, and Chelsea Manning did, by the way, uh, my friend Assange, that I've been supporting, is not so much a whistleblower, he's a facilitator of whistleblowers, like uh, newspapers, but uh, Chelsea Manning, who was his major source there, of course, told a lot of truth that would not have come out otherwise, paid a heavy price for it, which by miraculous means I didn't have to pay, but many others have, like Mordecai Vanunu in Israel for revealing the Israeli nuclear program. It's hard to say that any of those people can point to much effect. So can it be worth risking your career, your life, your family for a small chance of being influential and actually changing the world for the better? Well, yes. The question of a war's worth of life and or in case of climate here, everything is at stake. Preventing nuclear war in Ukraine or Taiwan, everything is at stake. So, of course, it's worthwhile taking that chance. Right. And last thing I wanted to ask you, how are you? How are you feeling? I'm going to tell people how you feel these well, days. I'm, I'm feeling fine now. As you probably know or may know that uh, I've been told... I won't be feeling fine much longer, but I am feeling fine now, and I'm happy to have the opportunity to uh, give some thoughts, some part thoughts. But mainly, I'm uh, hoping to spend time with my family, which I have very uh, joyfully, very well. Very good. Thank you very much for your time, sir, and I hope you feel good. Thank you. Famed whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg. In local news, as police and protesters confronted each other in Atlanta, the New York City Council Committee on Public Safety held a hearing on the NYPD's Strategic Response Group, or SRG. 
The unit had been accused of aggressive tactics against protesters and other New Yorkers. NYPD brass refused to attend, blaming ongoing litigation. Outside on the steps of City Hall, a rally was held calling for the city to disband the SRG. It was attended by several city council members and public advocate Jumani Williams. CUNY sociology professor Alex Vitale said SRG is criminalizing protest. The SRG's policing of protests that we've heard so much about is part of a strategy that began in 2003 that turned the broken windows theory of policing into a theory of protest policing. Zero tolerance, complete uh, lack of acceptance of anything they deem to be disorderly. But of course, what they consider disorderly is never politically neutral. The Proud Boys, anti-abortion protesters, they're not viewed as disorderly. They're viewed as needing protection. It's our communities, our voices, our demands that are always already disorderly, always already to be suppressed. It's time that we shut this unit down and that we get a refund. New York activist J.W. Walker is part of the coalition that wants to disband SRG. He says it's well known the SRG is violating the rights of New Yorkers to protest. All of the facts are there. All of the broken bodies, all of the bloodshed, all of the refusal to get medical help, all of the escalating, completely nonviolent demonstrations and situations into melees. All of that's in the public record. It's all on video. It's all in public testimony, like the testimony of like 100 people at the recent Committee on Public Safety hearing. It's all there for anyone to see who wants to look at it with an unbiased eye. For some reason, this continued reliance on on beefing up law enforcement and militarizing law enforcement is something that too many Democratic politicians just can't get away from. I found that even a progressive audience of New York City people were very upset with the gun violence. It's very true. And the problem is that we allow the law enforcement complex to conflate these things, right? It's like everybody wants the police out there stopping crime and stopping murders from happening and confiscating illegal guns. We all want that. The fact is that they're acting as though having this SRG brutalized protester is connected to stopping crime. Nixon often said law and order, the protesters were as much of a violation of law and order as a gang or the mafia or something like that. Exactly. You know, and now they're trying to use these things. There was one John McCary Jr. He testified in the um, the public safety hearing and he's prattling off this stuff about wheelbarrows full of bricks and protests, firebombs and all of this stuff that just is non-existent. But it's all about trying to cast protesters, people who are standing up using our First Amendment rights to protest abuses by law enforcement or to protest the fact that we had a fascist president for four years, trying to turn nonviolent, peaceful protesters into villains. I guess to certain people they are. To people that, that want to hold up the, the fascist, the fascist far right, yeah. 
you know, but also to people that aren't out, that don't even see any protests, people that are living out in the distant precincts in Queens or in South Brooklyn who never even at a protest, and they buy the propaganda that certain politicians put out. Tell me about the hearings and how you think they went, and was the message well taken by the city? The hearings were something of a disappointment to a lot of us that are in this coalition to disband the SRG. Obviously, the fact that no members of the NYPD even showed up, the fact that they used this ridiculous excuse that they're not allowed to participate in an oversight hearing because there is pending litigation. I'm sorry, the NYPD is always underpinning pending litigation. If that were the case, they shouldn't be at any city council hearings ever. There's that piece of it, but also the way that the committee chair ran the hearing because they gave all this space for the CCRB, the Civilian Complaint Review Board, and the members of the council to say their piece. They spent the first hour and a half or so of the hearing with that part of it before giving people the people of New York, the ability to testify about their own personal experiences with the SRG, or in some cases, just how being New Yorkers, they felt about the SRG. And then all the the council members left at this hearing. By the time that we got to the public opportunity to speak, more than half of the members of the committee that were present were gone. On top of that, yes, it was the Committee for Public Safety hearing, but any and all council members can attend that hearing, and I don't think a single council member that wasn't on that committee even showed up. And the entire council is going to have to vote on these issues, so they should all have been present. New York activist J.W. Walker. In related news, the city is set to pay millions of dollars to demonstrators who were hit by batons, pepper sprayed, and suffered other abuses during the 2020 protests after the killing of George Floyd. Reportedly, 300 protesters will receive more than $21,000 each. And that's the news for Tuesday morning, March 7th, 2023. The news was produced by this reporter. You can access the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo.